Before we get to the show, I want to remind all of you that we have an awesome data analytics conference coming up called the Disney Data and Analytics Conference. This conference is taking place August 28th and 29th in Orlando, Florida. Join the Big Data Beard team and get $400 off your pass using our promo code, DataBeard-2018 at registration. Enjoy the show. You are now listening to the Big Data Beard. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. So I know I say this about every podcast, but I'm incredibly, incredibly excited about this one because our special guest has brought Brett's and mine favorite topics together, right? So wine and data analytics. I mean, seriously, is there anything, anything better to talk about, especially since really... These two worlds really never come together. So I have to say, though, before we actually start all this, um, I do believe that the wine is phenomenal. I believe that their vineyard is beautiful, and I am a wine club member. So I feel like I have to make that clarification. I do give Christian money. So um, without further ado, I would love to introduce Christian Palmas, who's CEO of Palmas Vineyards and president and CEO of Actronic Scientific, which is a material science company. So Christian, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're really developing this world between um, wine and data analytics and, and allowing them to really connect together. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I, I, I have to admit, I never thought I would ever be on Big Data Beard, <laughs> just because our industry doesn't normally uh, get to talk uh, about big data. So this is quite an honor for me. Um, you know, I, my background is is really but been both in technology and in wine. But I have to admit that through my lifetime, I never really was able to associate with wine at a very high uh, stylistic level. You know, maybe my brain is not wired that way, but in our industry, we get to work with incredibly creative people. Uh, you know, really people that, that I think anybody would call a true artist and not all of us, you know, you, you can, you can spend your whole life studying art, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a great artist. And a little bit of, of that is kind of become true for me. And so through my, my life of growing up in the wine industry and, and trying to find a way that I can add value to our family's operation, I ended up sort of falling into a role of playing a supporting role to those who do have the talent of, of, uh, of artistic direction. And so that's kind of what put me on a path and, you know, always having loved technology and having a computer science background uh, by training. Uh, I think I was sort of predestined to fall into this uh, industry in the way I did. So you obviously brought it, you know, to your family saying that you, I'm assuming that you wanted to do this, right? That this was this goal of you felt that you could help. I know that we've talked about this. You're not making wine better. You're just really making the entire process better. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, um, my father probably deserves, uh, most of the, the credit for the direction of an innovative spirit. I mean, you know, him being, uh, a scientist himself uh, in the in the medical field, um, innovation and and sort of the 
process of using innovation and an innovative spirit to problem solve was um, w w was sort of ubiquitous at Palmas Vineyards. And so we wanted to use uh, kind of a sort of a scientific method, if you will, to go through, you know, questions that we may have had during the process of designing the winery and building, building the facility and end up with what we did. A lot of that has to do with the, the, the way in the way in which we approached it, um, which is a little not quite traditional for our industry. Right. So that that was uh, that was sort of a, a different path to even to get to get started with. When I came on board, I was bringing a, a sort of a computer science background. And that's when we started talking about how can big data help make the process uh, you know, less prone to error, um, you know, m more sustainable to quality. Uh, but you're right, not focused on trying to replace the artistic element, but in reality, it was there to use technology to enhance the human element, which is what makes wine beautiful, multidimensional, complex, you know, all those things that we have a hard time putting numbers to. As you were talking there, I, I was almost envisioning the scene from The Founder. I don't know if you saw that with uh, about Ray Kroc, where they were trying to optimize the different, uh, you know, where the fryer is, where the burgers are. You know, there's a lot of different moving pieces at, at a winery and during the wine production stage. Uh, is that one of the things that you tackled initially where, you know, where, where are the, the fermentation barrels versus where are we going to store the wine or the reserve wine? Like, did you guys... Do something similar to that. I'm just visioning that as the as kind of one of the things that you started with. You know, the the best way I can kind of describe it is, you know, guys like me in the industry who, you, you know, we don't we don't wield the paintbrush. We make the paint, right? I my job is to put in front of Tina Mitchell, Mia Klein, right, our our two executive winemakers, the very, very, very best ingredients possible coming from our estate-grown vineyards. And imagine that my job is to make a beautiful red and a beautiful yellow and a beautiful blue, all of the colors that she is going to use and mix together on her palette of colors. And then she's going to stand in front of a blank canvas and paint the most beautiful painting she can. She's going to blend the most beautiful wine she can with the available ingredients. So you can imagine their frustration when, as they're watching these colors, you know, come to life over the, over a two-year period, when mistakes happen or uh, when you know things don't go the way that that they wish, their frustration that they're now missing that critical element that they were planning to to use. The painting will still be painted, and many times, the end consumer, uh, the the one who gets to enjoy the final product doesn't ever really notice that something was missing. But of course, we know. And so the, the, the beginning goal of, of this whole you know, attitude of, of using technology and big data was to avoid those mistakes in the first place. And so to allow the winemakers to have as many options available to them at the time of blending so that they don't uh, have to have any excuses as to what may or may, or may, or may not have gone wrong along the way. Now, I think, you know, when you were um, giving us a tour of your uh, vineyard, and actually, can you just, like, what's the difference between using the term, like, vineyard and winery? Like, are they interchangeable? Is there one that's more preferable than another? So vineyards typically, you know, obviously refer to 
the 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 vines themselves growing in the vineyard right that's the out out the outdoor section uh you know which arguably is more than half of the of the whole equation here right the the you know yeah. the, we always say the wine will only be as good as the grapes that it comes from you can never make a wine better than the raw ingredients it comes from so the vineyard is a huge part of this and we spent a lot of time uh you know building innovation through our uh, like our vigor application for the vineyard side and then when we talk about the winery we typically talk about the facility itself the the the, the in which the process of where we take grapes and we begin a sometimes you know two year plus journey of converting those grapes, fermenting them, barrel aging them, and then ultimately blending them and bottling. On that note, so when you were giving us a tour of you know the winery and telling us everything that was going on, you were talking about the program Felix, right, and Vigor, which I think are the two programs that you developed in house. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So Vigor is. Um, it stands for Vineyard Infrared Growth Optical Recognition, and basically what it is, is uh, it's an application that helps us identify how even are all the, the vines themselves growing within a parcel. So, uh, you know, the vineyard is made up of many parcels, and you have uh, individual blocks inside the vineyard, and you're typically going to harvest each of those blocks at, a, you know, kind of one at a time. They're, they're going to come in and represent a whole tank, a whole fermenter worth of grapes that is going to turn into wine. So you really care. You you want all those, you know, you, you're, you're going to harvest all those vines in the block typically at the same time. So it's really important that when the winemaker walks down the road and she's tasting all the fruit, trying to define the moment of ripeness, which is very subjective. She, what she's expecting is that all of the, all of the vines in that block are ripening together. And that's difficult to, to uh, to keep track of. So Vigor is the application that helps us do that. Felix is like Vigor, but for the for the winery. And what Felix does, Felix stands for Fermentation Intelligent Logic Control System, and it's really a machine learning, you know, pretty advanced uh, data analytics suite that we created. And what Felix does is it manages the complex environment of the 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 winemaking portion, which is the fermentation part. Um, where you're converting, you know, grape juice to wine over a period of of, of of weeks, and it's it's purely designed to make sure that the winemaker gets to spend that time, kind of holding the only instrument that really makes wine in 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 this world, you know, from a stylistic perspective, which of course is a glass, right? We want the winemaker engaged with the wine at a very very high level and not burdened with all the mundane details. Um, that things, tools like machine learning can can help us uh, with, you know, the, the, those are the things that computers are really good at, and then we want to enhance the things that the humans really good at. So Felix is taking um, information from the sensors that you have in your barrels. Is that correct? So yeah, so Felix has a, a pretty sophisticated suite of sensors inside of the fermenter. Um, pretty much there's kind of two different styles of, of sensors. Um, so in fermentation, uh, in, 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 a, in a traditional winery, so f- for the last, you know, let's, let's call it the modern era of winemaking, winemakers are constantly asking the question, how far along am I? So, you know, they're, they're, if you think about uh, 
you know, baking a roast in the oven, you're using your meat thermometer to kind of tell you, you know, how many more minutes do you have until it's going to be done? Well, in the, in the world of wine, we use a measurement called bricks, and you may have heard of that term. Bricks is basically a measurement of sugar, and, and, and bricks is declining, of course, as we're converting available sugar to alcohol. And so one way of measuring bricks, which is pretty common in wineries, is that they use a tool called a hydrometer. And a hydrometer, it's a, it's a density meter, right? So they have a, a graduated cylinder, they fill it up with fermenting grape juice, and they drop this little floating probe in there, and it measures uh, the density of the wine, which they convert over to bricks. And then that tells them, you know, if they look at their watch and they say, okay, if it's the 92nd hour, 14th minute of fermentation, according to my plan and the yeast I'm using and the temperature and everything else, I should be at, let's say, 13 bricks. But when I go check, oh my goodness, I'm at 10, right? So I'm going a little bit faster than, than I'm anticipating. But in every winery and, you know, all the, the really high-end wineries around the world, the fermenter has a glycol jacket. And you've probably seen them if you've gone to, to wineries. You see these tanks that have like this dimpled edge or these jackets around them. And of course, what those are for is to flow glycol fluid and the glycol either cools or even in really high-end wineries can heat the tank so that basically you force the fermentation to either speed up or slow down so that you sort of stay on track. And so the winemaker is constantly, you know, checking this value and making sure that the temperature is correct for the, for the, for the, you know, point in fermentation that you're in. And all of that is great, but honestly, none of that has anything to do with why, you know, Tina Mitchell is who she is, or Mia Klein is who she is. Any first year Davis student with his eyes closed, you know, can, can do that with his eyes closed. That is not what makes a great winemaker a great winemaker. I mean, sure, they need to be able to manage the fermentation well, but stylistically, the things that you and I can't put numbers to and the direction that they take the wine, those are things that we really want them being able to plug into. So, what Felix does is it handles all of that for you and many, many other things as well, so that you can spend more time worrying about the rest of the fermentation, like how does it smell? How does it feel? How does it taste? Um, you, you know, what are the things that is the fermenters doing now? And, you, you know, it's an amazing transformation, right? Going from grape juice to wine in a matter of, 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 a, of you know, a week and a half or so. And the things that show up, it's things you can see, smell, taste, or feel, they may not have been there just an hour ago or even uh, three days ago, right? So they, these are things that are showing up and are, are, are piquing your interest and may change the direction you want to take the fermenter. But if you're spending half of your time worrying about mundane details, you may not be there for the moment that great something happens. And so you may not, you may have missed the opportunity. So all we're doing is building a system that can help put that winemaker in a, in a, in a stylistic capacity more often so that they're there when that wonderful thing that maybe piques their interest or takes them a different direction stylistically um, so that, you know, their, their, their time is better used. So, you know, one of the things we've always seen or I've always seen in talking about machine learning um, is 
you know, the algorithm's great, the model's great, but it's really the data that you feed into that that algorithm and model. And um, I, I'm a, f- a huge fan of wine. I, I've been collecting wine for a little bit. And I've been trying to explore how to create my own algorithms. And I've learned that there's a lot of subjectiveness in uh, both the making of wine, but also the storing or what makes a good vintage, what makes a good, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, it must take a lot of data and a lot of um, understanding of the, the process to make Felix work. Can you talk a little bit about how you went about uh, identifying the data sets, you know, cleansing and wrangling that data, and then actually understanding what the inputs needed to be to, to be successful? Well, you, you are right, Brad, that there are a lot of options to feed into any data model, right? Uh, you know, in the world of wine, you know, I, I say you can't really put numbers to those stylistic things, but there are people who have tried and actually have done great strides. And we call them, you know, there's kind of a, a family of terms for this. We call them phenolics, right? But when I built Felix, I, I, I kind of had to, I told myself, I'm, I'm going to, try and be disciplined about what we feed into the data model. And so it's kind of sticking to the basics. I said, let's feed it things that are related to the health of the fermentation. So, you know, what are the things that are, that really the winemaker is concerned about? Well, what is she losing sleep about at night? And really that has to do with the bricks, Right, so how do we measure that? We have a sonodensitometer in the tank that measures the speed of sound, and that tells us the, you know, the, basically the density. So we have a live density reading. So that takes care of bricks. We have this really sophisticated array of thermal sensors that measure over uh, three million discrete points of temperature in the tank using a, a thermographic sensor. So that takes care of temperature and the heat output from the from the yeast, because remember the yeast themselves are exothermic, so they put out heat. And between those two values, and of course the glycol data and the position of the valves and the, you know, what, what we, we, we have sort of all of the elements to close the equation on yeast's metabolic rate, converting available sugar to alcohol, which needs oxygen and produces heat and all those things. So we could actually kind of put a, a, a bit of a score on to what the fermentation is doing. In other words, is it, is it on track? Is it is it sticking to what the winemaker wants or is it getting really hot? Um, and then what are the things a winemaker can actually do about it, right? So maybe she finds that, you know, spectacular aroma she's really excited about. And maybe the plan that was, that was you know, in place an hour ago is now no longer the plan the winemaker wants. So what are the things that she can do to sort of tell the system, hold these conditions? I know it may accelerate the fermentation slightly more than we had planned originally, but I don't care because right now all I care about is getting more of this beautiful aroma or texture or color or whatever it is. So Felix was designed to be flexible. And yes, it's it's there to adapt to the wishes of the winemaker, but in many ways, you know, we don't want Felix to act like your living room thermostat, right? Your living room thermostat's is stuck to the wall, it measures temperature in one spot, and it turns on your air conditioner or turns off your air conditioner. And you blow cold air in the room until that point in the room becomes the, the set point temperature, and then it turns off. Well, fermentation is not like that. It's way more complicated. 
there's not one temperature in the room. There are literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of temperature gradients and complex, uh, you know, uh, uh, temperature moves through the fermenter differently because it's, you know, full of liquid, it's full of solids, it has airspace above it. There's really no right or wrong way to approach this. So we wanted to just measure all of it and then, you know, machine learn the, the information we had and then apply the inputs we could. So Felix was designed from the get-go to focus on basic elements. And we always left the ability in the future to add in more things. But we really primarily believe that the best sensor for smell or taste or color is the winemaker herself. When you get to work with some of the you know very best of the industry like we do, you, you, you don't really want to try to replace that because they are the reason why the wine has the complexity it has. So the maybe the best approach, of the, uh, or at least the one we, we, we began with, was to try and make the best use of their time because they were the ones who were going to be able to direct the, the fermentation uh, perhaps the best. Right? So that was kind of the plan. So how did like the winemakers feel when they like, I'm assuming was, did they come in while you were working on the process or after you started the process? Like when did they come in and how did they think about this whole thing? Cause again, I would, I would assume you're probably the only, you know, winery that's actually doing, you know, using big data to make decisions about wine. Um, how did the winemakers take it? Well, it was, it was interesting. Um, not everybody in the beginning, well, let's put it this way. I didn't go into the Enology lab and sit down with Mia and Tina and tell them, we're going to implement a machine learning algorithm that's going to help you make wine. It didn't start out that way, primarily because I knew it probably would not have been adopted. We tiptoed our way into it. And really what it was, I told them I could build a system that could help save them time in fermentation so that they could spend more time doing the things that I know they like to do. And so we kind of called it like a dashboard. The dashboard was sort of the, the word we were using. We're going to build these really advanced screens that are going to help you visualize what's happening in the fermenter. And we're going to project it on the surface of the dome so you can visualize what's happening in the fermenter. You don't have to go back to your lab to find out a value. You don't have to carry an iPad. You don't have to carry an iPhone. The, the information would just be all projected on the ceiling inside the fermentation room. It could be collaborative that way. You know, so because we have three winemakers, there's, you know, two, uh, uh, you know, Tina and Mia, and then they have their assistant uh, work all in the room together. So they want to see each other's data and collaborate on it and all that. That's how we started. And then once the data was there, I, sh I started to show them how we could derive more information from the data and then avoid problems with the data in the future. So that's when the predictive an analysis kind of side of it started to show up. But that took time. It wasn't sort of uh, the, the, the goal in the beginning was, you know, let them use their talents for, for the things that, you know, they, they like to do. So do you think that this whole process has like given you a, like a competitive advantage over the other vineyards? I mean, 
I know that you said it's mainly to save, you know, Mia and Tina time, but has it, has it given you anything else in the process that you didn't think that it was, that you didn't realize it could give you? You know, competitive advantage is, it's not really something you, we feel in the wine industry, you know, uh, it, you know, Napa Valley is Napa Valley, uh, not because we have, you know, wineries that are better than other wineries and we're constantly competing for intention. You know, we, we celebrate the fact that we all don't agree how to make wine and, and thank goodness. Right. Cause otherwise it would be, it would be so boring yeah, to visit nice. Napa Valley, right? It would be, yeah, you know, we'd all, we'd all our wineries would be like boxes, you know, in an industrial park and, and they're not, the wineries are the results of the people behind them and the people who work there. Um, so it's, you know, this is just our solution to what our property gave us and the, the complexities of our vineyards and the three elevations they grow at, you know, we, we, we had a challenging fermentation problem to begin with. This was just the way we, we decided to solve it. And, you know, uh, but in terms of what it brings to the table at the winery, the exciting part is that it has reduced nearly to zero fermentation errors to be, you know, nearly completely. And because we're able to sort of see around the corner of the error, and I'll give you an example. You know, one of the things that can happen during fermentation is fermentation can be very, very, uh, at a, you know, at a very high rate. Sometimes things like oxygen will begin to deplete in the system. So, you know, in the fermenter itself and yeast need oxygen to, to do their thing. Um, and so it's left unchecked this can propagate into the beginnings of a potentially stuck fermentation. And sort of the, the symptoms of stuck fermentation are difficult to, to sort of identify, but the winemaker can actually smell it, right? So when, you know, so let's say that after a long night of no, you know, no pump overs, no punch downs, a winemaking team comes in the morning and they do their morning rounds. So usually very early in the morning, five or 6 a.m., you know, that they're out there with a glass in hand, uh, smelling and, you know, checking on the wines and seeing how they're doing the ferment, fermentation. And um, sometimes, you know, they'll come to a tank and they'll smell something and, and it's a little bit, you know, suspicious. Something's going on. So then they'll ask the lab, you know, the, the, the enologist to come down and pull some samples and, you know, maybe check some dissolved oxygen levels or, or other things. And sure enough, it's low and they can intervene and, and, and fix the problem, but potentially the damage, however small it may be, has already, has already happened. With Felix, because we can take events like that and teach the system, um, and because it has such a high fidelity of the right kind of inputs going in, things like thermal output, uh, density, and another, some other values that we call like delta T and some other kind of critical um, variables that we use, we can actually use predictive analysis to say, I, you know, and, and this is sort of how it, it, it sort of outputs its, its, its alert. It says, hey, winemaker, in 93 hours and 14 minutes or whatever, I predict that if unchecked, you are going to end with a low oxygen environment. In other words, you're, you're, your kind of 
heading for a problem and it, it can't do 90 hours out, but it, let's, let's say, let's say it does like 30 hours out. It's pretty typical. And the funny thing is you'll go and check and it'll be normal, right? Or you'll go and, and spend, uh, you know, some other kind of analytics and it'll, they'll be normal, but at least it gets you checking. And if, un, and the weird thing is, is after, you know, maybe like 12 hours, you start actually seeing the problem. So Felix has shown us that in certain certain kinds of variables, it's able to identify the beginnings of what we have called problems before and maybe get you to intervene sooner than you would have you know, normally done so. Because and, and that that's helpful in our industry because typically the kinds of things that, that tip us off are the things we can see, smell, taste, and feel. Well, by the time those have been present, the the that is the the sort of the byproduct of the problem itself. So that is a great example how how big data analytics can help you, you know, see a trend that otherwise would have gone unnoticed. Yeah. So I mean, completely uh, love that. Love every part of that. Uh, I also really like that. You know, the the goal isn't to have the competitive advantage. It's everything else that's, that makes this industry great and really. The reason why banks and I have passion for for the products that everyone makes, um, we have spent a lot of time talking about Felix, but I think uh, Vigor is is really interesting as well because being able to map a parcel and provide your your winemakers with an understanding of how ripe all of the grapes in that parcel are is uh, fairly complex. So, can you talk a little bit? Is that more of a are you using you know? picture recognition, deep learning, kind of what are you doing to help uh, with Vigor? Vigor is actually a little simpler. Um, you know, Felix is, is really, you know, I, you know, when you show it to somebody who, who knows big data models, you know, they, it, it feels like a big data model because the variables are kind of loosely tied to each other. And if you put enough of them together, you can, you know, you can start to see trends. Vigor is more of a, you know, a really advanced GIS application. So GIS stands for Geo Informational System, and it's kind of a farming term, a high-tech farming term. So basically what we're doing is we're, we're taking this camera, right, this kind of, uh, uh, so we, we, you know, we hire a company uh, that takes this big camera on the belly of a Cessna. So we use a real aircraft, and, and the reason we use a real aircraft and we can't, you know, everyone says, like, you know, well, why can't you use drones? Well, because... The vantage point from where we need to take the picture is nearly 10,000 feet. So it's really high up. And of course, you know, drones are not allowed to, to go up that high. And the camera is big. It's, you know, much heavier than a, than a drone can carry, at least now. And so we take, this, uh, we take this picture and we do it twice a week. So typically every Monday and every Thursday, we're taking this picture. And the camera is not a normal camera. It's, a, it's kind of a wide spectrum infrared camera. And what we're doing is we're, we're using the sun as sort of the light bulb in the sky. And you want to catch the sun pretty uh, close, uh, a close angle. So you want the sun as kind of high in the sky as you can get it. And uh, you want to take a picture of the vines. And you're, you're, you're sort of t measuring the amount of infrared light that is reflecting off the plant. And that tells you quite a bit about the plant, particularly about sort of... Um, how, sort of its, its photosynthesis uh, and how much chlor chlorophyll is in the leaves. So with that information, you can 
build something called an NDVI, which stands for Normalized Difference Vegetation Index. Basically, it is kind of what it sounds like. You're building a map that tells you how even are all the vines growing with each other. And you can see things in that wavelength of light that you can't see with the naked eye. So you can have two vines that are, you know, maybe only 3% different from each other in a quantifiable vigor value. And, and you might say, okay, well, I mean, that's really, really close. But if you maintain that 3% or 5% over the entire 240-day growing season, you're, you, the winemaker, you're going to taste that difference in the fruit at the same time you try to harvest those two plants. And so the problem is, of course, is that, you know, we don't, we don't get to go and pick every ninth plant in the, in the row. Right. We we pick the whole block together and the winemaker, it's always a compromise decision about should I pick now or should I pick tomorrow? And it's always kind of the lowest common denominator because the vineyard, you know, there's no such thing as homogeneous soil. There's no such thing as, you know, terroir is a real thing and it forces the vines themselves grow at different rates. And therefore, their fruit that comes from them all have slightly different tastes to them, different ripeness levels. And it's difficult to control that. I mean, you know, you go to the grocery store, you, you know, no two apples look the same, even though they may have all come from the same field on the same day. So what Vigor does is builds this index. And that's great. That technology has been around forever, since the 80s. But what can you do with it? Right? How can you intervene and break that chain? So what we do is we correlate that information to the most likely carrier of why there's difference in the first place. And the number one thing that always comes to people's mind, and they're right, is hydrology, right? The soil moisture. So we irrigate, right? And in the past, the way agriculture, you know, sort of treated irrigation is that we used to farm the group of plants to grow as an individual. But in high-tech farming, we don't do that. We farm the individual to grow as a group. So using this sort of big data model, we take the soil moisture values and we correlate them to the to the NDVI value. And then we ask the computer, tell me how much water would each vine technically need in order to become in balance with the, with the normalized value of the field? In other words, how, how much water does every plant need in order to sort of balance its difference out? And so these, these really advanced uh, uh, what we call zoning maps tell us how much water every plant needs, and then we actually go and adjust the irrigation uh, or engineer the, engi the, the irrigation on each vine individually to sort of fix that difference. So normally, you know, in a traditional sense before Vigor, you'd have to wait till the end of the year to, to sort of see these subtle differences. But because we have biweekly, you know, twice a week images, you can start to see trends develop over the course of the year and intervene. And that works really well when you have a vineyard that is fully responding. But sometimes you have problems. Like, for example, maybe there's a slightly broken pipe under the ground that's leaking a little bit of water next to this group of vines. Well, those vines, forget about it. They're not going to react to your irrigation. They have a water source coming from something else now. Or maybe the drainage is blocked uh, from something. Uh, who knows? Or maybe there's a virus or a, <clears throat> or a pest or anything that potentially is causing those vines to not grow like the rest of the group. Now, because of vigor, we can alert ourselves to that trend or that issue 
uh, months and months ahead of when it really, you know, when it when when it counts, um, which of course is at the time of harvest. Yeah, that's that's pretty great that you can do that. So I, you know, it seems like there's so much work that has gone into these projects. How many people helped in the beginning, and how many people are supporting it now? Well, you know, in the beginning, this this was, uh, you know, Felix was developed first. And Felix was literally a, a project in my garage. Um, my wife can attest to how much space it took up. But imagine um, it was a, a bunch of sensors in a glass carboy, you know, kind of like a small household style fermenter. And uh, I used to use sawdust as an analog because sawdust and water sort of thermically modeled a little bit of how heat is held in the in the grape skins inside the fermenter. It was just kind of what I came up with. And I built models in, you know, in, in kind of a controlled area for two years and kind of wrote the software and tried to try to sort of build the logic engine that Felix runs on. But at some point I had to pull the trigger and, and at the same time as developing the, 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 the UI, and I'm not a very good GUI developer, if you ask anybody, um, I kind of hacked the thing together over two years. Then when it came time to deploy, and the winemakers are incredibly collaborative, and you know, a lot of input from them, and I would show them things, and they would help me, you know, they would tell me, yeah, this is, this is good, this is not good. Over time, um, in 2014, we, were, we, we, we deployed Felix in, in six fermenters. Um, if you know our carousel in the, in, the, in the fermentation dome at the winery, the carousel is on this giant rotating track uh, in this underground dome. Uh, six of the 24 fermenters were deployed in 2014. And then in 2015, the rest of them were deployed after we learned a lot of mistakes from, from 2014. Uh, and it's been working ever since. Um, what, where, where I needed help was when I realized I had a massive data problem um, because I was producing data much faster than I could process it, send it anywhere, or store it. And so in 2015, I started to reach out to you know, real professional vendors um, to help me uh, you know, deal with, with, with what you know, I was able to do with uh, kind of a, a gaming style GPU setup to turning into a, a rack full of you know, professional you know, uh, uh, compute servers and whatnot. So it, it was time to grow up in 2014 and 2015, and that's when it, it, it kind of you know, now Felix feels like a, you know, like a corporate style, big data solution, like anyone else's. Man, I wish I was the SC on that account that I would have raised my hand in a heartbeat. <laughs> so funny. Christian, <laughs> are, what uh, are you using any, like, what tools are you using? Any frameworks, libraries? Uh, just what are you using for, for Felix and for, uh, for Vigor? You know, I have to tell you, um, and, 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 and I'm, and I'm actually actively trying to improve this but felix runs on its on, on on kind of a custom framework that i built um and you know I, I today i get to work with you know really great consultants um i have to to give a shout out to one of them is aloka erachige er, 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 he's uh he's kind of my uh, my big data analyst he he uh um uh, uh, helps me with a lot of the the networking problems and all the data issues, but 
the framework is still sort of the same old framework and and it's it it's a pretty simple system you know it, it, it we throw all the data um we kind of use the uh, what i learned in computer science was sort of the 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 grain uh, grains of sand on the beach phenomenon where we we pour the data onto the beach in no particular order right so everything is sort of jumbled up and then we do compute calls out to the data to sort of organize it and 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 you know find all the red grains and so and so so forth which is obviously not very efficient um, and it doesn't scale very well <clears throat> but i'm i'm kind of uh, i've what i've done in order to solve my my kind of poor coding inefficiencies is just throw big compute at it so fortunately uh, you know, the winery is only so big, there's only so many fermenters and there's no plans to build another winery or take this to, you know, to scale this any bigger. So the solution has been as compute and storage get cheaper and cheaper, uh, I'm, I'm able to get my hands on, you know, more, you know, more horsepower, more, more compute, faster IO and, and sort of solve the problem that way. So that really hasn't forced me to improve my general framework. So it's still kind of this custom uh, written thing. That that's been doing all the the, the crunching. So, are, do you leave everything? Is all the data and all the compute um, on site, or? <laughs> well, um, initially it was. So it's kind of interesting um, as to how this happened. So, on average during fermentation, I was getting about a gigabyte of data from each fermenter per hour, right? So it was burying me in information. And I thought that I would, you know, be able to do this for a couple of years and then I would parse out the information that I would have hopefully learned I don't need. And what has happened is that the framework and and, and sort of the, 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 the logic engine, and I get help from other people, keep showing me things that I, I can find in that, you know, sort of haystack of, of data uh, so I keep procrastinating on throwing anything away or parsing any of it out because I, I, I keep thinking I'm going to, you know, find something that that in that in that high fidelity information. And so the data was growing and growing. So I did what a lot of you know, a lot of people did in 2015, I think, which was uh, throw it up into the cloud. And so, you know, I brought you know, twin 10 gig fiber connections in from Comcast into the winery started, uh, you know, uploading the data like crazy. And my plan was I'm going to keep one, I'm going to keep the current year's data on site and I'm going to reference do reference calls up to the, to the cloud information, um, you, you know, to do the associations and then store those associations on site so they could be available. And that was working. But it was getting really, really expensive. So, you know, my I was kind of astounded at my Amazon costs because I was having to hydrate and 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 you know sort of rehydrate a bunch of information and then not use it. And you have to remember, unlike most data models where data is coming in all the time, Felix is only really operating about sixty days a year because fermentation for us only lasts that long. The rest of the time, I have a bunch of uh, hardware that's sort of sitting idle. And uh, so it, I thought that the cloud computing model was going to work, but actually my costs were really, really high. And since then, the cost of storage has has gone way down. 
And so it's not unreasonable to sort of have a petabyte of storage on, on your own facility. So now it's almost the reverse is true. I'm sort of using less cloud compute, more on-site cloud compute because the data is getting cheaper to store on-site and you know, data density is going up and cost is going down. So it's sort of uh, the paradigm is kind of reversing. Yeah, we've seen, especially in a lot of these similar use cases, data movement being a, a huge factor in, in a cost uh, off-prem as well. Um, so what's next? Do you have any other cool use cases or ideas on what you're going to do for the next, the next thing? You know, you always say you make the paint. What's the next color of paint you're going to make for your winemakers? <laughs> well, I guess the way to think about it is I think most people can kind of guess what's probably next. So if you look at, if you're familiar with winemaking, I would say there's sort of four pillars of the, you know, I hate to use this word, but let's call it the supply chain, right? There's the vineyard, which we've, you know, sort of started the tip of the iceberg there with vigor. There's Felix, which I think, pretty good at comprehensively understanding what's happening with the fermentation. So that's the second pillar. And then there's two more. And the third one is barrels, right? So barrels are number two, number three on the balance sheet. They are extremely expensive for any winery and particularly ours because, you know, we insist on using, you know, these spectacularly top level, all French oak, you know, it's a very, very expensive barrel program that we afford our winemakers to, to, to be able to use. Um, you know, it's their spice rack, right? They want to have a, a tremendous diversity of, of complex, uh, you know, barrel structures that they get to implement with the wine aging. Um, and, you know, it's a very, very traditional part of the winemaking process. Um, and I have no intention of changing the barrels themselves or where they come from or any of that process. But I think there's a whole bunch of observations to be made there. So what we're working on now is uh, we have, it's in an experimental phase. Um, and uh, we, we call that project STAVE, which has a terrible acronym, but stands for Sensory Transadvental Variance Experiment, which is basically a sensor that measures things around the barrel. And hopefully soon, uh, maybe in the next couple of years, we'll roll out something and, you know, rolling out something for us just means we'll begin to, to, you know, deploy it across all of our barrels um, that we think is going to greatly help um, a lot of, the, you know, what's going on in understanding of how the wine is aging in every barrel in the room and, you know, derive a lot of maybe, you know, quality control factors from that and other things that, that are of interest to us. And then the last one is the bottle, right? That's the final pillar of, of, of getting the wine to the end consumer is, is putting it in the bottle. And as, as many end consumers have, you know, uh, experienced, uh, it's not a flawless experience. Um, you know, we, again, insist on using, you know, these absolutely beautiful, uh, extremely long, you know, hand-sorted, uh, you know, top-tier corks from portugal and so you know the cork industry is a wonderful industry it's highly sustainable it's definitely still the best closure device but it's not infallible there are still issues um and brett you mentioned earlier you know you're you yourself are starting to collect wine and and you know you some people consider uh our our, 
wines. Uh, uh, I, I don't. It's hard for me to think about it this way, but some people consider wines investment grade wines. Um, and for me, it's you know, it, it, it feels like a food product. I, I make it. You know, we 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 make the wines. My sister always says, you know, she loves to see the wines enjoyed and consumed. Uh, they don't tend to give a lot of joy sitting in a cellar, um, but it is true. For every day you don't drink them, they seem to reward you a little bit more. So <laughs> there is that. Um, but there's there there's so there there's there's information to be derived from the bottle, and that to tell you the truth, I I am really hesitant to try and do something innovative. I don't want to force innovation onto the bottle um, because the bottle itself is supposed to be this timeless vessel, right? You know, something you could, you know, put in a time capsule and just, you know, or lose. And, you know, we've all read wonderful stories about, you know, bottles of wine discovered in caverns, um, you know, hidden away during World War II. And, and our, now these priceless, you know, relics are being discovered. We, we don't want to lose that. Um, uh, you know, so putting things like RFIDs or, you know, things that, that have, you know, information on them is great, but it's, it's difficult to pick a technology that it itself is timeless. Um, and, you know, so, so we're, we're kind of dabbling in those things, but so we have a lot of innovation left to do a lot of, uh, fun things to work on, but those are, you know, you can almost guess that's kind of where our attention is now. So I'm kind of closing the loop on, on the supply chain, uh, with a focus on retaining quality and uh, excellence in the product. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I'm one of those people that I'm not very good at letting the wine sit around for a while. I think it, uh, <laughs> good. I'd, well, I'd rather just drink it immediately. <laughs> I'm all about, I like to age it. I like to have, bottles that in five, six, ten years. It's 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 nice. Uh but it's all about finding the right bottle for and the right year to be able to do that. One of the things that I'm trying to do is how can I use analytics and machine learning to be more accurate in the bottles that I uh age and the amount of time that I age them for. So just you know, we're all we're all looking at different uses. What I what I really like about this conversation is historically or normally we I look at the wine industry is being, you know, you know, to your point, it's, it's art. It's a lot of touch, a lot of taste, a lot of smell, a lot of feel, uh, and, and it's gray, but we're looking at a, how do we do a more black and white approach to that, which I always find very fascinating. You all should definitely check out Strata Data Conference happening September 11th through 13th in New York City. At this conference, you'll learn how data is driving innovation and transforming businesses. You'll hear from top minds in technology and leading companies like Airbnb, Google, WeWork, and Uber. You'll also network with thousands at the largest gathering of technologists and business leaders working with data. Save 20% with our passcode, PCBeard, at checkout. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call... Rapid fire. Pew, pew. So perfect. So what year will Skynet go online? 2030. Oh, oh, he actually had a year. So funny. So um, what was the last wine that you drank that wasn't yours? Uh, last night. And <laughs> uh, I had a uh, Castello de Banfi, which is a, 
uh, you know, kind of a, uh, some beautiful wine from the, from, uh, from Italy. And, uh, I think, I believe it was a, uh, 2012. So that's awesome. That's actually, it was the Brunello. Yep. Yeah. I have a few of the 2012s. Uh, I went to, uh, to Tuscany a few months ago, so I have those in my cellar. How was it? Uh, awesome. And, and, is it, uh, is it time that, to pop it open? I, you know, I, I don't see why not. Um, my friend, I was at a friend's house and he had, you know, he has, I, I don't know how many he has, but, uh, you know, we were, uh, we're doing some, some, uh, some braised short ribs and wanted something a little different. And, uh, he, uh, brought that, you know, brought, brought that bottle out and, and, uh, we didn't even, we didn't even decant it. It was, we were impatient. We just right into the glass. It was amazing. I like it. It's my style. And that cheese, I remember that cheese that you had at the tasting was like amazing, amazing cheese. Oh, anyways, we need some wine. So, um, what's your favorite uh, variety of wine? Would you say uh, Cabernet Sauvignon? Okay. So, what is the piece of technology that you think is making life worse? <laughs> oh, um, I guess I have to say social media. Mm, hear that. So, what is your biggest money pit right now? Uh data storage for sure. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, probably tied with, uh, GPU, uh, compute servers from Supermicro. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love it. Um, are you going anywhere interesting soon? Um, I'll be going to, uh, uh, I'll be going to, to Germany uh, soon to do a wine conference uh, at the end of the year. Uh, it's my first time to attend uh, kind of a, a big uh, wine symposium in Europe. So I'm pretty excited about that. I think Brett will go with you if you want. And I'll, I'll just tag along. Just to Do you need someone out. to talk about analytics at this conference? <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping to talk about analytics at this conference. Uh, I, I, I want our industry to, to talk about more analytics. So that's my goal, hopefully. Yeah. I'll, I'll need to check it out and see if there's some call for papers. Yes. There you go. I must say it must, it must be difficult living in a place where people go to vacation. Like I can't even imagine like living in Napa and – and that beautiful place. It's like, why do, why do I need a vacation? I just stay here. stay home. It must be so nice. Um, and the last question. So what show are you currently binging on? Oh, um, it, it, it's called Yellowstone. Have you heard of it? Okay. I'll have to like, look that up. Nope. Um, so I've never heard of it, but I'll definitely make sure that we like look that up and then we'll provide a link, um, in the blog. And we didn't get the opportunity to really talk about that story that you told us about how Felix worked when there were the fires were happening in Napa and how everyone had to leave the vineyard. But I know that there was an article associated with it. So I'll make sure that I include it in the blog. So if people want any more information, it's a really great story uh, that I love to um, just, it's just a great story about you guys and how Felix did the work while you guys weren't able to be there and, and you were able to keep everything. So thank you so much, Christian, for your time. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I'm, de- I'm going to go have a glass of wine. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. 